The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Today we're going to review Educated, a memoir by Tara Westover. And I thought the best way to introduce you to Westover's writing was to read you uh, a small section from the first chapter of her book, uh, just a reminder that I'm using this uh, as a part of fair use in the vein of education. Grandma had a thin, angular face and an endless store of faux Indian jewelry, all silver and turquoise, which hung in clumps from her spindly neck and fingers. Because she lived down the hill from us, near the highway, we called her Grandma Down the Hill. This was to distinguish her from our mother's mother, who we called Grandma Over in Town, because she lived 15 miles south in the only town in the county, which had a single stoplight and a grocery store. So this is a really good example, even though it seems like what Westover is doing is telling, she's actually describing something that gives you extra information and this is what people mean when they say show, don't tell. In memoir work specifically, uh, it is very difficult not to have what some would call a telling sentence. We learn very quickly from this paragraph that Tara's family lives somewhere where there are very few people. And we learn that because she's saying that one grandma lives down the hill, grandma down the hill, and grandma over in town lives 15 miles south in the only town in the county which only has one stoplight and it has something that's uh, atypical or she wouldn't mention it, and that's she has a grocery store. The thing that I want you to understand about this book, which I'm going to review for you right now, is that you absolutely must read it. It's one of those books that is a perennial bestseller for a very good reason. Tara Westover is something that we don't even have a word for because she's more, she's past prolific. Uh, my husband and I have been <laughs> trying to work on a word for this to describe people like Tara Westover and Christopher Nolan. We haven't come up with one yet, if you have any suggestions, but it's something like uber prolific where someone has such a natural talent that they don't even need to develop it over time. And if you are interested in the story of Tara Westover's life and you read Educated, you'll find out that basically her one goal in life was to be able to go to school. And because she lived in a family uh, that didn't really believe in public schooling, which we'll get into that in a minute, 
she did not have the opportunity to go to school until she was almost finished with school, actually. And then she went to college where she discovered that maybe things at home hadn't been as straightforward as she, as she thought. At the beginning of Educated, she has a bunch of, she has an author's note and she has a prologue. The author's note says, this story is not about Mormonism, neither is it about any other form of religious belief. In it, there are many types of people, some believers, some not, some kind, some not. The author disputes any correlation, positive or negative, between the two. So she's saying, listen, just because some of the people in my story uh, claim to be religious people and they're negative, that doesn't mean that there's a correlation between the two. And if you've ever watched an interview uh, with Tara Westover, you can tell that, you know, she wants to not believe, but she still has a hard time with it. Uh, because to believe might be an admission that some of the things that her father and mother did were the right things to do, even though they were not. And uh, if you read the book, the most important part of the story is the father's relationship with the entire family. And uh, at some point, the mother decides that she's going to stop resisting what her husband is saying and teaching, and she's just going to go along with him for the ride. And that is very difficult for Tara in that her mom was a very big advocate for her in the story up until a certain point, which is actually really heartbreaking. If you have any kind of uh, parental, negative parental experiences, I promise this book will bring out those memories. For me, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I feel triggered when I read this. Oh, I feel triggered when I read this part. Uh, but I couldn't stop reading, as I talked about in previous episodes. But the themes that are explored in this book are not simplistic, and I really appreciate how much thought and consideration Westover put in trying to explain what happened without polarizing uh, religiosity or the Mormon church. And in this case, I don't believe that uh, her father was actually following the tenets of the Mormon church because he was kind of, uh, you know, doing his own thing. As in the beginning of the book, we see that he decides that milk is sinful. So that's the kind of uh, religious person he is. And he even goes up and tells the dairy farmer that, oh, milk is sin. And the dairy farmer's wife just pats, his, pats her husband's arm and they... They walk away, but that's a theme that you see throughout the book that uh, her father gets what he thinks are biblical revelations, and he suddenly will stop doing something or start doing something that he said previously uh, had been banned by God. But the main thing, the main theme for Tara is that she wants to go to school. Uh, her grandma and grandpa down the hill, they try to make it so that she can go with them to Arizona so she can be enrolled in school. And we see that there are basically two types of children in her family. There are the children who do exactly what her father has said, and they're allowed to stay part of the family. And then there are children who want to be able to do something more. 
and who have a natural propensity for the intellectual realm. Uh, so it's the, it's the contrast that's shocking. And she does such a good job of setting up basically these two worlds. And then there's a third imagined world, and she references that in the beginning of the book uh, where she says, my first memory wasn't a memory. And uh, that's in chapter one. It says, my strongest memory is not a memory. It's something I imagined and then came to remember as if it had happened. There's the world that she exists in. And then there's the world that uh, her father says exists. And then there's this third world that's basically modeled after what her father believes is happening. And one of the things that is really unfortunate in this story is that her father's paranoia is basically confirmed by actions that the U.S. government took against people who just wanted to be able to um, follow their own practices. And one of those examples that really drives her father into further paranoia is Waco, Texas. And if you don't know anything about that situation, I would advise you to go uh, watch the documentary so that documentary is on Netflix, and it was released in 2018, and it's called Waco. I watched it with my husband. It was very difficult to watch, I'm not going to lie, uh, because so many people died needlessly because certain people thought if you just bully them more, uh, they're actually going to do what you want them to do. And so this is basically the idea. It's the uh, personless antagonist for Tara's father, as he's trying to live apart from the government and be off-grid, he keeps hearing stories about uh, people that are going up against the government. And a lot of times he twists those stories and his understanding is incomplete. And that's what we see in the first chapter where she's saying, listen, my strongest memory is not a memory. It's based on an idea that Tara's father had and was confused about the outcome and uh, he thinks that the federal government has murdered this family. And so they start to hoard things. They start to create stockpiles of weapons. Uh, this story is very fantastic sounding. If I didn't know going into it that it was a memoir, I probably would have thought that it was some kind of a lead-in for a post-apocalyptic story, honestly. The way that Westover is able to use words... She uses them like paint strokes on a canvas. And I don't understand uh, how she can be so young and write this way. And like I said, it's because she's uber prolific. And so I'm excited for her to write something else. I know that when writers have a first book that's so successful, and in this case, it's so personal, it's the story of her life, they have a hard time writing anything else. And I hope that she doesn't fall into that category of uh, one-hit wonders, shall we say, uh, but like, you know, the single bestseller. Because she has such a talent for writing, I would literally read anything she wrote. I don't care what it's about, even if it's about zombies, which are not my favorite, even though I enjoy Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I'm just saying, even if she, okay, let's say she wrote about uh, clowns. I would still read it, <laughs> even though I hate clowns. And I hope that she can take this obvious talent that she has 
and project it into something meaningful for herself, I would be interested to see a piece of fiction by her. She just has this natural intuition to show and not tell, which is very difficult for a lot of writers to cultivate after years of study. And for her, it's very instinctive. And so we get the story of a young girl who's trying to reconcile her place in the world, which happens to be, in her case, living on a uh, scrap heap. Basically, her, her father owns a junkyard, and that's how they make their money. And that's how, and all the, a lot of their money is spent on things like buying ammunition to bury in the ground or buying canned goods for when the government attacks their family. And it's a completely unstable environment. Uh, in the very beginning of the book, we see that her mother is told to become a midwife and by her father, and she decides that she's just going to do it, even though she hates it. And I used to work as a labor doula, and I would say that if someone came to me and said, you need to be a midwife, I would say no, because I wouldn't be willing to put other people's lives at risk. But it, as you read this, and as you understand the dynamics in the family, you learn that, okay, the people in this family don't have the ability to say no to the father or else extreme retribution will follow. And we see that that transfers onto one of Westover's brothers who she really loves. She wants, she wants him, uh, this is one of her older brothers, she wants him to give her his approval and his acceptance but he becomes uh, an abusive monster. I think that's a perfect way of describing it after reading the scenes where the abuse happens. And this, this book is abuse heavy. So if you have experienced some kind of abuse yourself or you're very sensitive to scenes of violence, you're going to have a hard time reading this book. I would still say that uh, it's worth reading, but you know what your own limits are and you know that if you read something like this, whether you'll be able to deal with it in a healthy way or not. So don't push yourself out of the health zone for this story. But for me, uh, I had a hard time reading it, but I felt that it was worth it to witness the story. And that's what a memoir does. It creates the barrens of witness, which is important to the writer and to the reader because they form this relationship where one says to the other, I accept your truth. I am sorry that you experienced it, and thank you for sharing, and where the author can speak out into the world what happened, and not necessarily for validation, because uh, we've talked about how writing for validation doesn't really work. It leaves the author feeling kind of dry and like a leftover casserole, I, I think. We see that, I mean, for me personally, I have experienced that writing about something that is very difficult that I've experienced kind of puts it on a different shelf in my consciousness where, okay, I've actually dealt with that. And of course, I talk to people. Uh, you know, I, I am a huge proponent for therapy. I have experienced therapy myself. I think it is a worthwhile exercise. And you can see that at some point, uh, the author has to start going to therapy to deal with 
all of the things that she's been through, and she does find people who are willing to help her on her journey. And the sweetest part of the story is probably uh, the beginning of her fellowship when she does get to school. And at some points in this book, I was like, if she doesn't get to school, I can't read any more of this. But she does make it to school, and the relationship that she has with her professor is so sweet there's nothing, uh, you know, there's no sexual overtones or anything like that. It's wonderful. So this book, yes, it seems like a sad story of an abusive father who's suffering from various things that Westover uh, diagnoses herself as she's going through the process of understanding her upbringing and she's uh, experiencing therapy and healthy boundaries and all of that for the first time. But it's also the story of someone who failed to give up, who championed until the end. And obviously, the book itself is a result of that. This is a wonderful and inspiring story if you can get through it. I highly recommend it. Uh, if you are a writer and you're wanting to read this book, you should read the book and take notes of some of the tricks that, <laughs> some of the tricks of the trade that. Westover employs. I cannot believe that this is a debut work, but it is. And I am so impressed with Westover and I can't wait to see, you know, maybe she won't write anymore, which would be seriously a tragedy. But I'm excited to see whatever she does because I I believe that anyone who can overcome what she has overcome uh, has so many precious and wonderful things to contribute to the world. And if you haven't read this book yet, you should put it on your TBR. And there's a reason why it's on literally everyone's TBR, because it's an experience unto itself. And it's one of the best examples of expensive writing that I have ever seen. She uses expensive words in literally every phrase, because these things cost her dearly. She experienced them at a very hefty price. And in order to share them with us, she explains that, you know, this process was difficult and there were also issues of memory loss. And she had to interview some siblings who were willing to be interviewed to get the details more correct because there were just some things that no one really knew what happened. And also when you go through trauma, you memory loss is a really common uh experience as a way of your brain dealing with that trauma. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to see a good example of expensive words, words that cost the author to write them, then this is a great story. This is a really great example of how you can take the difficult moments in life and turn them into art. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. Happy writing.